0: Every woman I know feels like they're failing constantly. I feel like I'm failing constantly. And all of the women that I think are so successful feel like they're failing constantly. Reese Witherspoon probably doesn't feel like she's failing constantly, but she might be the only one of us.
1: I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others but your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we
2: all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today on the podcast, we have Joe Piazza. Joe is many things. She's a mom, an author, a journalist, a podcaster, and a wife. I happened upon her when my friend Jacqueline shared her new, at the time, podcast, Under the Influence. I couldn't wait to tune in because influencer culture has always interested me. Interest brought me in, and Joe's storytelling kept me. Joe, I would love it if you started by introducing yourself for our audience.
0: Hey guys, so I am Joe Piazza. I loved that introduction because you said wife last, which really is the thing that kind of fall, like teeters off the edge <laughs> of my like profile cliff sometimes. Sorry, but uh yeah, I'm an author, a writer, a journalist, and a podcast host, all of the things, because I think that women have to have 50 jobs these days just to survive. And I am just so delighted that Under the Influence helped you find me.
1: Uh, We're going to get into all those things, but let's start with Under the Influence, which we both listen to, Joe, every single week. And it would spark some really good conversations when we were talking about it in the office. But what was it that made you want to do a podcast about influencers in the first place? So I would love to hear the most surprising things that you came across as you researched and interviewed for this series.
0: Oh my god, yeah, so so many. So I'm like a normal user of Instagram, which means that I'm constantly on Instagram. And <laughs> after I had my second baby who didn't sleep, I found myself just scrolling and scrolling all night long, because I was holding her with one hand and the only appendage free was my thumb. And there's only one thing you can do with a thumb every time I've said that a couple of times and then I'm like, Oh, are they like, I'm like, does it sound dirty when I say that? But there really is only one thing you can do with a thumb. I didn't scroll through Instagram. And I realized that almost everyone on Instagram was trying to sell me something. And I didn't mind it. Because as a new mom with limited time, I want someone to tell me. What bottles to buy, or what rug is really easy to throw in the washing machine, or what white sheets will look great for like a day before my kids pee on them. But I became fascinated by the women creating these accounts and started digging into who they were and how they worked and the economics of it. And the podcast started out, I'm like, I'm going to uncover all of the dirty shit in this world. And then I realized what an incredible business it was, how these women are very serious entrepreneurs and that there was just so much more about the world of influencers that's been ignored because it's a world created by women for women and men control most of the media.
2: Yeah. And that's something that I noticed as you were doing the series is that a lot of times influencers can get a really bad rap. And sometimes I know that that's fair. But as you were pointing out, sometimes, is it just the fact that women have a hard time cheering for other women? It's this female-dominated industry, and there are a lot of women succeeding at it.
0: Totally. Totally. I do say the media is mostly dominated by by men, but, you know, women are also really tough on each other. We're probably our toughest critics. We're really mean to each other on the internet. And I think that there is a lot of innate jealousy too, that we're not, necessarily champions of other women when they succeed when we should be we should be happy for every woman doing amazing things in the world because it has been so goddamn hard for women to do amazing things in the world for so long that anytime a woman does anything anything we should be like you go girl you're great and our jealousy should just completely evaporate because it is a useless useless emotion
2: yeah, like it's even if the woman is doing things differently than you would do it, that doesn't mean that she is wrong and you are right. You can just have different ways of doing things. And the online fallout that these influencers get is horrible. But then, if you've ever been down the rabbit hole of like a Reddit thread, oh, people yeah. spend so much time trash talking. A woman's life it's insane.
0: Well, and you know it's not just limited to influencers either. you know, in the beginning of Goodreads, the social network for, for readers, I think it was so helpful to see what other people were reading, and that devolved into so much nastiness as well, mostly from women going after female authors and you know I'm also an author, and so yeah, just the amount of hate because I think. I think that for so long, women have been made to feel like we should feel insecure. Every woman I know feels like they're failing constantly. I feel like I'm failing constantly. And all of the women that I think are so successful feel like they're failing constantly. Reese Witherspoon probably doesn't feel like she's failing constantly, but she might be the only one of us. And this has been so ingrained in us for so long that I actually, I don't know the answer for how we can get out of it. But it's one of the things we try to explore in in Under the Influence. And Under the Influence now, it was just originally just about influencers. It was just supposed to be like dirty gossip about influencers, because I'm also a terrible person. But now I feel like the title of the podcast Under the Influence means so much more. It's like, what are all of the cultural things that women have been under the influence of for so long that we have to shed to actually enjoy our lives more?
1: Mm. And it has been ingrained and it's been ingrained in us for a long time. And that was one of the big reasons that Amy and I wanted to start this podcast is to talk to real people like you and just rewrite that script on insecurity and just what the world is telling us so we can start living lives that we want to live, lives that we're really proud to live. And as with anything, like there is good and there is bad. And we've seen it, we've heard it, and we know that influencing can go wrong. You even shared a few stories of that on your podcast and what I liked about what you shared in the series is that influencing is also a lot harder than it looks. So go into some of those details about the tough stuff you faced as you tried the influencer life and also why it ultimately wasn't for you. Yes.
0: Yeah, so part of the podcast is that I did try to be an influencer. And spoiler alert, I suck at it because it is, and I cr- I've created almost every other type of content in my life. I was a newspaper journalist. I made magazines. I make podcasts. I make books. I make TV shows. And I can't be an influencer. It's amazing because it is so much work. It is these pictures. We have to think about them like each influencer is creating an entire little media company and a magazine feed because these pictures are so curated. They hire professional photographers to take them to then Photoshop them and edit them, or they're doing it themselves. They spend hours and hours on the caption. They're constantly negotiating with brands. They're running their own mini magazines, marketing agencies, and advertising companies. A lot of the time, it's just one woman. Sometimes they do have assistants, and I'm fascinated by influencer assistants, by the way. Like, there's going to be a whole episode in under the influence season two on influencer assistance, because I'm just like this, like this job, this is a job that didn't exist before, right? But we don't give these women enough credit. We really just kind of shit on them. We're like, why are you posting these perfect pictures all the time? But we don't shit on Martha Stewart for making a perfect magazine literally all about her life or Oprah (laughs) for making a magazine literally all about her life. But we do on these women because they feel like they're our peers because we're like, oh, well, this is someone I could be friends with. So I can tell her you're an asshole for posting pictures that are more beautiful than my life when she's just trying to make a buck.
2: Yeah. And what you're saying too, it's like, You guys, it is so hard to have think about like you're doing all the things that Joe was talking about, putting all these pictures into your feeds and captions. But now that stories are so big, like every day, all day for these women, they're the face of their brand. Like it doesn't go on without them. So they have to either pre-record or be on every single day. It's actually really
0: crazy. It's insane. It's like it's like you're... Oprah with the Oprah Magazine or Gwyneth Paltrow with Goop, but constantly. And in order to get eyeballs on your page, on your account, which you need to keep making money from brands, the algorithm forces you to broadcast almost 24-7. So you have no choice but to completely turn your life over to this beast to make some decent money but with no safety net whatsoever. I mean, there's no benefits for these women. There's no job security. And that's why I think we have to give everyone a break because trying to make it as a woman, but, and also especially as a mom and make money to support your family and maintain a career is really hard. And we don't give anyone the grace.
2: The seven days a week thing to me is the biggest turnoff, just like in my personal life. Because That's just, who wants to work seven days a week? And some of these women do look exhausting. And I wish that Instagram could let them off the hook and give them some off days. Obviously, they could take them, but it really does impact your story views if you go dark for a few days.
0: Totally. And I see it impacting mine too. And I have to, I think about quitting Instagram all the time. I really don't feel like I have a choice anymore because it's how authors help find an audience for their books. And I've got a new book coming out in like four weeks now. But if I don't post for a day, my engagement tanks. And also if I don't post pictures of my kids, my engagement tanks. And that's insane because I do want to completely scrub my account of my children, but the Instagram algorithm loves children. So then I know that I'm also, I don't think about this, I'm, like, I'm not like I'm gonna post a picture of my son and get more likes, but like I know that if I post my family, or if i post like my house and if i make it look beautiful then my engagement goes up and then more people see my other posts about my books so it is it is such a weird marketing catch 22 that we've been put in in order to just survive in yeah. our
2: career it's also interesting cuz smaller children or pregnant women do really well and so it oh feels God. like i'm like i'm wondering if some of these women are stretching their family sizes because for me My youngest is two, so he's still pretty little, but I'm out of the baby season now. And it's like a woman then has to reestablish herself as herself then because she's not in that season of like little babies. And we actually did want to get into motherhood with you. Yeah. A lot of our listener base are moms. And so I wanted to know what is the hardest part of being a mom for you? And have you figured out any solutions to that hardship?
0: You know, it's interesting because right after I had my second one and my kids were about two and a half years apart, that was the hardest moment for me, juggling the mind shift between one and two and like suddenly having to be everything to both of them. And that nearly broke me. And I think that my postpartum anxiety was so high at that point. And now my youngest is very close to two. And things just in the past month have started to get easier because they play together. They play alone. I was able to sit at a lake beach and like sit on a chair and have them in front of me. I was able to read a whole magazine because they were playing alone together. So, and I think my answer is really trite too, because my biggest thing now with being a mom is I want to be very successful in my career, but I also want to be very successful as a mom. Like I want to be very present for my kids. I never want to leave my house at eight in the morning again and commute to a job where I don't come home at seven at night and I don't get to see my children except for an hour a day. But at the same time, I really well I need because you know I'm the breadwinner for my family, my career to do well. So I'm constantly suffering from that guilt of like, am I spending enough time with them? Am I doing enough with them? I think that I've struck that balance. I've carved out time During the day, because I work from home and so many of us are working remotely where I put it on my calendar, I'm like, spend 15 minutes just like reading to the little one put the little one down for her nap. And I know that I'm super fortunate because we also and I don't think we talk about our childcare situation enough. I'm happy to be super open about mine. We have a wonderful au pair who has lived with us throughout the pandemic, God bless her soul she just extended with us for a third year i have full time childcare from 8:30 to 4:30 but i'm working from home so i can pop in and go see my kids and play a game with them or put them to bed or make them lunch and like that feels like this magical ideal fairyland of a parenting setup for me but at the same time this is i feel like this is also how women mothered for centuries 50 years ago, because we lived with our mothers or our sisters, and we had other people helping us. And so we could do the work, which in a woman's woman's case was like, making clothes or growing food or working outside the home in a factory, but then also have family members taking care of our kids and we consider our au pair a family member. I don't know if I just answered your question. I just (laughs) grabbed three fucking minutes.
1: You definitely did. And in in all of that, and in your answer, I kept on hearing the word balance and just figuring out what works well for you and your family. Like You do a lot. You have a lot of different tasks. You have a lot of different titles, but you have figured out what works well for your family. And many people will say, you can't do balance. You can't do balance, but you did. You have figured it out. And that's why we want to have you on is to really inspire more women to figure it out for their family, what they need to do in order to live in that balance. And a quick break from our podcast sponsor, which is BetterHelp. So BetterHelp is our longest standing podcast sponsor. Amy and I have both used them for the last year and a half. And we're at a point right now where we're starting to graduate. So these are great conversations you can have every single week, multiple times a week through the chat feature if you need it. Or it's a conversation that you can have far less. So I just love the flexibility of BetterHelp, the ability to chat in between sessions, the ability to send resources back and forth, and just have that one-on-one connection, whether it's face-to-face, over the phone, or in that chat feature. So BetterHelp does give you 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com backslash herself. Again, that's betterhelp.com h e l p.com backslash herself for 10% off your first month. Joe, let's switch gears a little bit. So you have a book coming out that you mentioned earlier. It's coming out in October and called We Are Not Like Them. So tell us more about your book. I, for one, am so excited to read it.
0: Oh my gosh, guys, I'm very
1: excited for you to read
0: it. We Are Not Like Them. It's been a long time coming. So my last novel, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win, was edited by a wonderful woman named Christine Pride at Simon & Schuster. And she became a close friend and we decided to write a book together. Christine is a Black woman, one of the few Black women um, in the upper echelons of publishing. And she's like, I have never seen great commercial women's fiction about an interracial friendship on the page. She's like, I've never seen it. And I was like, I, me neither. And we read a lot of books. And we're like why don't we write it? And so we started writing it four years ago. And, you know, the book became what it wanted to be. We Are Not Like Them quickly turned into a very heated book about race and social justice and police shootings in America. And this was well before, you know, the reckoning after George Floyd's murder. But at its heart, We Are Not Like Them is about a friendship, a lifelong friendship of two women who love each other so much, but like, really have to grapple with the hard questions about race that we all have to grapple with these days. And Christine and I wanted to write the book because we want people to have a more comfortable way to talk about race. We feel like so many books are preachy or so angry or make people feel guilty. And because this book is about a friendship between two women and this lifelong bond, you can read the book and find new ways to talk about race without feeling terrible with feeling invested in the characters, but not feeling like you've just been attacked or without fear of being canceled, because all of those things, I feel like inhibit our really productive, good conversations. So we're trying to bring together book clubs, predominantly white book clubs, predominantly black book clubs, because frankly, people do self segregate 75% of white people in America don't have a friend of another race. I mean, that is an official statistic. And bring together book clubs to have conversations they just wouldn't normally have. Because we think that really good storytelling is the best way to empathy and healing. And it's not making people feel bad about themselves. It's really not.
2: I was reading a lot about your book. And I was describing it to Abby when we were preparing for the interview. And I said, it feels like it's fiction with a purpose. Would you agree with that statement?
0: I would totally agree with that. And I actually, I love that tagline, fiction with a purpose. I'm going to send that over to uh, my marketers right now. But we, and we also, we, we sometimes say when we're a little bit tipsy, we're like, come for the friendship, stay for the social
1: justice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. Joe, you do so many things. So you have a book coming out, another book coming out. You're a mother, you're a wife. You also have a podcast called Committed. And on this podcast, you really dive into hilarious, heartbreaking, inspiring stories about couples of all kinds who've really soldiered through some of the unimaginable circumstances. And after really long days, after really tough situations, they still want to wake up next to each other in the morning. So what is the inspiration for this work specifically? I wrote a book called How to Be Married
0: when, mm-hmm. like, when I was about to get married and, because I had no idea what to do. I was 35 years old. You know, I've been single and happy. And then I meet this man and have a whirlwind romance. And I'm about to become a wife. And that seemed crazy. And I was also a travel editor at the time. So I traveled around the world and wrote the book, How to Be Married, based off how people do this, how you're a wife in other cultures. What does that mean? And How to Be Married has actually become like a go-to wedding present and like wedding shower and bachelorette party present for a lot of people, which oh, I love. that's
2: amazing.
0: Again, it's kind of storytelling with a purpose. I want people to be, you know, drawn in by this beautiful travel story of us and me traveling around the world during our first year of marriage, but also then, you know, bring back lessons for their own life. And it was the storytelling that meant so much. So then we turned that into the podcast committed, which has now been going for three and a half years, which feels so long in the podcast world and has like 10 million downloads. And it's really become kind of a staple of, you know, the podcasting world. And I'm just couldn't be prouder of it. I love it.
2: So I listened to the episode with Amanda Kloots and Nick Cordero, and I was sobbing on my run. Oh, it was wow. this beautiful and tragic reminder of how fleeting life is. You know, I feel like we're all trying to keep the most important things, the most important things, but that can be really challenging because the three of us and so many of our listeners are in a really busy season of life. So do you have any wise words or strategies that you use to keep your values in check and keep the most important things, the most important things?
0: I have a couple of things. It's one that has to do with my marriage and one has to do with, you know, just generally we need to make our lives better. We have to focus on like being just not better, but like being happier and enjoying things a little bit more. So I have this one thing that I do and I think it's so simple, but I've told other people and i like, Really? They're like, you do that? And I'm like, I do, I do. Like when I'm just, when I'm sitting around, when I'm working or even hanging out with the kids and, you know, hanging out with kids that are four and two is great and also totally boring. So I say to myself, I'm like, how can I make this moment better? What one thing would make this moment better for me? And sometimes it's as simple as I'm on my computer and I'm like, why don't you light us a, a lovely candle? And I'm like, that is nice. Or if I'm doing something mindless or playing with the kids and I'm a little bored, I'm like, why don't you put on a podcast right now? Like you can listen to this in the background. and. That one little sentence, like, what can you do to make this moment better has just kind of enhanced my life. It, it like, allows me to like, break out of the moment be like, first off, this is lovely. I get to work. That's great. Or I get to play with my kids and that's great. But also I can do something to like, kind of heighten it so it doesn't feel as monotonous as I feel like we allow a lot of our, our days to get. And then one thing that I learned interviewing so many couples about marriage is like, to let your expectations the fuck go. We cannot expect our spouse to be our everything. In the beginning, when Nick and I were first married, like, I kind of expected him to be the first reader on my books. And, you know, also to be like, have all this brilliant advice. And, and that just Nick doesn't like to read books. He never reads books that aren't my books. He like, likes to read articles on his iPhone and read obscure Wikipedia articles. And like, the fact that I expected that of him just because he was my husband and then was disappointed when he didn't live up to that was shitty. And so we have to realize that our spouse is our spouse and they have certain roles. And then we have to fulfill other roles in our lives with other people, because there's no one person that can do everything for you. And if you expect it, you are going to be
1: miserable. Yeah, when those expectations don't match reality, which if you are setting them that high, you're always going to fail every single time. And that marriage won't feel like a safe spot that we all want our marriages to be. Joe, I love one-liners. They become the mantras that I use throughout the day. So that line of what can you do to make this moment better, that one is going to stick with me all week. So thank you for sharing that one.
2: A quick break from our partner, Gooder. I love that Gooders can keep up with me. They're actually the first pair of sunglasses that I have worn during running. And I love that. It's so sunny in the summer. I feel like it's such a good touch. When I was out in Colorado with my friends, I actually forgot my Gooders. But thankfully, they were in the running shop or hiking shop that we went to, and I was able to buy them. My friends also got a pair. I'll share the photo, but the three of us were hiking all over Colorado in our Gooder Sunglasses I love that they can keep up with you. They don't bounce. They're perfect. So if you want a pair, you can go to gooder.com. That's g-o-o-d-r.com backslash herself. That's g-o-o-d-r.com backslash herself and use code herself15
1: for 15% off your first purchase. So on our podcast, we're really honest about the hardships of parenthood and also a partnership. And you've gone into some details on this, but it feels like every couple, it goes through some kind of adjustment period, especially after we have kids. So is this something that you and Nick went through together? And are there any things that helped you to feel like you're tackling it together?
0: Totally. We, like, we're just coming out of it. Like, we are just becoming a couple again after four years of breeding, five years of breeding, really, because, you know, I had Charlie. and Charlie's four now, and I was pregnant for so long. I think we completely lost ourselves in the process of making and having the children and having to adjust to our new roles, and only now are we starting to do new things together, and I think that that is without our children. And I think that that is making a huge, huge difference. I listened to a podcast to Phil Donahue and Marlo Thomas's podcast, Double Date, and they interviewed Jimmy and Roslyn Carter. And Jimmy and Roslyn say that they learn new things together all the time. And that's something that Nick and I did early on in our marriage. And then we stopped, and now we've started again. So we just signed up for a triathlon because we both also have 20 pounds of baby weight that we gained. Nick- <laughs> At least you did it together. We did it together. That's the one thing we've done together in five years. We got that, and so we signed up for a triathlon. We're training together, and we signed up for a triathlon in Key West, and we live in Philadelphia. So it's going to be a trip. It's like learning something new together. It's fitness, which makes us feel great. And so, but I also think again we have to give ourselves the grace that like there's going to be those years where you have small children are going to be hard, and we're both travelers too, so. My other mantra is having young kids is really fucking hard. So why don't you go somewhere that you're enjoying life a little bit more because it will be hard at home and it will be hard where you go. Because people ask me, like, how do you travel with your kids all the time? And I'm like, because it's hard everywhere. Like, it's not like it's easier when I'm in the house with them. In fact, sometimes it's harder because it is like you do fall into that monotony. So we do travel with our kids a lot. And try to take advantage of things new cities have to offer and really enjoy that because you're going to have tantrums and the kids are going to be little assholes no matter where you're at. So you might as well be enjoying it.
2: Do you guys ever take trips without them?
0: We do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And we try to do that every couple of months. And now we're trying to do it about like every month, um, you know, we'll rent a hotel room even here in Philadelphia or go up to New York or, and we're going to, we're actually going to San Francisco for my birthday um, in a couple of weeks sans children for I think five days. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, that was one thing that I really struggled with. I
2: had mom guilt around it. And I do think Instagram played into it. Because so many people, it's like if a woman goes on vacation, she automatically has to post about like how much she misses her kids all the time. I don't. Like. Yeah. I know. And now I think it's because I've got three toddler boys now. I'm like, I got to get out of here. I know you guys are in good hands. We wouldn't leave you, you know, in a situation where you weren't. And now I really allow myself to enjoy my time away. But I Holy. think for a lot of moms, that's a growth period. Because at first, it's like you're you're almost programmed to have guilt because everyone else is showing you you should.
0: Exactly, exactly. And you know what, that is a new thing. Like I just spent a vacation in Wisconsin with my in-laws who've been married for 50 years, the two boys. And they're telling me about all these vacations they went on because my father-in-law is a doctor and he would go to medical conferences all over the world. And just leave the two boys like, freaking neighbor or their grandparents who were like not the nicest for like a week or 12 days at a time they didn't think anything of it my mother-in-law told me this one wonderful story about how she left my husband when he was one with her dad who didn't really like kids and he put him in like one of those like playpen gates and just put a chair in the middle of it and let him run around every day for a week Like, that she she's just like, yeah, everyone seemed happy and everyone was fine. They didn't think twice. And also, there were no cell phones. They weren't checking in every day. It's like, with this mom guilt is an invention. It's an invention that we've put on ourselves, that we've put on other women. And, and because you can judge everyone on social media, and it just has to stop.
2: Yeah, I agree. Drew and I, everyone should do what they feel comfortable with. I I completely believe that. But Drew and I never FaceTime our kids because we find that it actually makes it harder for them. They're like pulled out of whatever they're doing with grandma and grandpa and then they like remember that we're gone. And so we've found for both parties it's just easier if we take the time away and we have these really secure bonds. They know that we're coming back. So Joe, it was an absolute pleasure to interview you. I'm so excited to get my hands on your book, and I'm gonna keep on enjoying your podcast. So please let everyone know where they can find more of you.
0: Yes, yeah, so the best place to find what I'm doing, unfortunately, is Instagram um, because it's the easiest. And my Instagram is Joe Piazza Author. And We Are Not Like Them is currently available for pre-order from Amazon and all of your independent bookstores. And Pre-ordering, it's so annoying for me to say this, but it matters so much for um, authors and for books. So please pre-order now. And uh, this was really great. I had so
1: much fun. Amazing. And to make it even easier, we'll have the link for pre-ordering your book right in the notes section. So head down there. You can see Jo Piazza's Instagram account, how to get her book. And thank you again for this valuable conversation.
0: Wonderful. Thank you guys. Bye.